Well, welcome everyone. It's Wesley here from Business Blessings and we're up to uh, Sacrificial Succession, episode 16 of the podcast and we're talking about all the tribes today. Paul, welcome. It's great to have you again. Thanks, Wes. <laughs> Paul, we've just uh, been having a chat in preparation for this and talking about all the tribes. It seems to be very uh, pertinent about what's happening in the world and and we were just sharing about different organizations too that we see this uh appropriate for and and i think that's that's continued the more that, that that we do this every week and the more i have conversations with people how much succession actually comes up in conversation is just incredible um and i don't know whether it's just me focusing on it but but it is it's a huge thing in so many organizations in every organization well, so it's a little bit like I sometimes look at it a little bit like death. Um, it's inevitable, but it's not something that people like to dwell on. Um, and successions like that, because it's inevitable. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. So far better to dwell on it in a positive way rather than, you know, as you've just shared with me, um, the or. or it's in the news for all the wrong reasons because of tribalism. Um, you know, tribalism is not just lots of different organizations going at each other or tribes like that. It can be within, you know, you get factions, they're tribes. <laughs> yes, that's right. And yeah. We hear factions talk about in a political sense, but it also happens in any organization as well. And, and, no, no, you've seen that. I've seen that. It's it's not that. Um, it's just different people have different attitudes about different things, and they tend to side with each other, and then gang up on each other, and and it can escalate very badly from they there. Do. Yeah, and I mean, I always found, I, I really found the way Jesus dealt with the potential for faction, uh, factionalism really well. You know, um, when his disciples just started to get into that you know, started to head towards factionalism, um, you know, instead of trying to deal with them on their own, it's very interesting that he brought them together. So all of this, he brought all the disciples together to deal with it. He didn't try and deal with it individually. Um, and I think that's really important when there's tribalism. What we tend to do, um, churches included, and a lot of organizations is we sort of try and keep it all under wraps and and talk to the people uh, involved without talking to the others who are also involved who aren't saying anything. That reminds me of the conversation we had with Delhi a couple of episodes back that you brought everyone together in the room and talked to them all together. And yeah. it, it, I, I think yeah, we that, always do that. Yes. Yeah. It's and as as she shared, you know, like it can be very um, unpleasant. It can be, uh, you know, jarring. Um, it can be super uncomfortable, but um, it's the best way we've always found to deal with um, not just conflict, but to keep everything out in the open. So everyone's on the same page. Everyone's equal. Everyone understands what we're, you know, what, what, what no, no one heard something different. No one can come back and say, well, when you talk to me on our own, this is what you said. 
Um, we've always found that to be open, you need to be transparent. And a lot of people warned us, you know, in, in, in the difficult places that we operated, oh, if you're open about your succession plans with everybody, what about spies and the enemies? They're going to be there for sure. Um, and I said, sure they are. But, I mean, they find out anyway. People talk. Yeah. Far better for them yeah. to hear it from us. That way it can't be misinterpreted. You can't say, well, you know, he said, she said. No, we were all in the same room and it was recorded. <laughs> That's very good. You know, I have been on different boards, and I've said some of this before, that, um, and often I find that maybe the chairman will phone each one individually to kind of set people up for the meeting. But but I've also seen how that backfires. So the fact that you actually have the conversation with people in the room, let's all discuss it together. Um, let's keep everyone on the same page is really very helpful. Yeah, well, the danger with that, of course, is that people get used to that modus operandi. And so they assume that, you know, what you're saying to one person will be different than what you're saying to the other. Yeah. And, of course, that does not build high levels of trust. And, of course, with anything, but with sacrificial succession in particular, trust is perhaps the, the absolute gold of the relationship. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that today because it's really interesting just some of the things that people have said about this. Well, Let's look at one of those quotes that you start off with is actually Charles Darwin, which I thought was a very interesting place to start. And the quote you've got from him says, a tribe who were always ready to aid one another and to sacrifice themselves for the common good would be victorious over most other tribes. What a power. Yeah, I, I, it's absolutely. And I find it fascinating that uh, a naturalist who believed in natural sele selection um, is observing that the, if you like, the strongest or most sustainable tribes are those that are willing to sacrifice for each other, which is not natural selection. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not. And it, it, it's fascinating that we're seeing this kind of played out in a big scale at the moment in the country of Afghanistan. And, it, like, um, it, and I know you wrote this a while ago, but we're seeing again Afghanistan play out in the news with the US troops withdrawing there. But what's been going on there has been going on for centuries. Um, and it's a prime example of what happens when you've got large scale conflict of tribes fighting each other. It is. And it's a really, um, well, it's a sad analogy, but true um, that when you have tribalism and you can't get all the tribes working together, then this this is the most extreme example of that conflict. And you're right, it's gone on for centuries. I mean, Winston Churchill, as a young man, was a journalist, and he actually wrote an interesting um, book, The Story of the Malacan Field Force, an episode of Frontier War. That was in 1898. That was about Afghanistan and how the, the British um, were having the trouble with the Afghans as um, everyone, you know, the Russians and, and then the uh, West had as well because 
you know, as he said, tribe wars with tribe, the people of one valley fight those of the next. <laughs> when you think about 1898, you know, that, it seems like a, a long time ago, but, but it was happening even before then. So things are yeah. going on. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great's men got stuck in there as well. And some, the, the, some historians suggest um, that a couple of the tribal groups that are extremely fair-skinned and look much more Caucasian um, than some of the other tribal groups perhaps is where a lot of um, Alexander the Great's men ended up. It's fascinating, the history, when you go back and have a look at it. In, um, it is, because that, of course, is the old Silk Road, that yes. area through there. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, we, we know, because we've got so many examples of what um, the lack of unity is and, and what I found fascinating when I was studying this and learning and wanting to do better myself with sacrificial succession and working with the you know, so many different teams. You know, we had 25 partner organisations, that's separate partner organisations in uh, Myanmar, for example. And so, you know, when Joshua went on his conquest of Canaan, one of the things that he did before he went, uh, in fact, before he was willing to cross the Jordan into Canaan to do any sort of fighting, was that he wanted or he wasn't with, willing to, you know, that's a really powerful example of someone um, who understood the, the counter-cultural nature of this. He was not going to stand for tribalism, and so he made it a condition of, um, you know, not one step further until I get the agreement of everyone and the commitment of everyone that we're all going to go across together. You know, Paul, I wonder if, uh, if church leaders or leaders of organisation, other organisations actually applied that in their situations today, how much different things would actually would be. Well, it's very interesting if you look at that passage carefully, because you know, he really did two countercultural things. The first one was he gathered all the tribes together and got a commitment from them. And the second one was that he put the, the two and a half or three tribes um, who'd already won their inheritance, he put those ones out in front of uh, the other tribes who hadn't won their inheritance and said, you fight for your brothers and help them to win their inheritance. And so it's a really good, <clears throat> excuse me, example of, again, sacrificial succession. Those who are first, those who are the strongest, those who have won the battles, usually what do we do? We keep them out of the battle. We don't put them first. We don't ask them to make the sacrifices because um, we assume that the people who haven't won something are the hungriest. Um, and maybe they are, but they may not be the best people to do that. And that's why, again, so important. You put the people 
who are first, you make them in a sense last by putting them out there to fight for that next generation, those who haven't won their inheritance yet. And so I think Joshua is an incredible example of that, um, of the unity that was brought um, through those actions. So, Paul, what would that look like today? So, <laughs> um, like, one is fascinating to me is when you say bring all the tribes together with Joshua, that was actually a lot of people that he brought together. You know, so you can do this with with thousands or, or more or with a smaller group as well, which is just pondering that, which is very key. And But he knew what he wanted. He knew what he sensed God was calling him to do and he did it and put it in place. It's huge, yeah. I mean, there are some who suggest that, that probably altogether there were 600,000 of them. Um, so it's whatever number, it's massive, a huge number of people. So, you know, at least a tenth of that perhaps would have been fighting fighting men. Um, so massive. Uh, I think if you looked at how it applied today, well, I can tell you how it's applied in our projects, but also how I've seen it apply. One of them would be for churches, is for churches to actually work together in a particular city. I know that's a heart of yours, Wes, uh, for, say, Christian business people to work together. Yes, of course you compete against each other, and that's a healthy competition, but... Um, what if people got together and agreed to do something and went out in a sense and fought for those who hadn't <laughs> achieved something? So in our case, um, it was some of the projects that we did. It was working with local churches and saying, hey, there are people out there who are yet to receive their inheritance in Christ. You've received yours. You go out and fight for them yeah. until they've won theirs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Chinese um, businesses, if you look around, say, Southeast Asia, which is my stomping ground for years and still is, um, they have a word in Chinese, which is kongsi. And what kongsi means is that it's businesses that will come together, even if they're in competition with each other, to squeeze out the, uh, their competitors so that they can control whole markets and economies. And if you look at uh, Southeast Asia, but e in particular, um, very small proportions, for example, in Indonesia, it's about 3.5% of Indonesian uh, Chinese descent. They control anywhere between uh, 60 to 80% of the economy. Um, why? Incredible. Because they had, they practice Kongsi, yeah. and that is essentially I'll do business with uh, another Chinese, um, you know, competitively, but if we do business together, then we can do a better deal together than we can trying to, you know, uh, completely destroy each other's business. And so whole industries and literally whole economies um, are often controlled in these in these ways. So um, yeah, there's lots of examples of that of of organisations and individuals coming together. 
why don't you just do it in your own organization? You know, we've seen where there's potential for infighting like Delhi shared in, in her podcast. And so we really uh, intentionally went in to sort of try and nip that in the bud and get people together, get people sharing a meal together. It's a very, very safe place to, to, to even if there's a conflict, um, <laughs> talk about things. Bring them up. Don't be afraid to bring up the issues that are really causing the potential for disunity. And we've seen time and time again that it works. You know, I've had people say to me when I've shared with them, you know, in Indonesia, we've got 18 large organizations (laughs) working together. Uh, And a lot of people said, don't believe you. It's impossible. I said, come and have a look. (laughs) And they were amazed. But it doesn't happen by accident. It's about being super intentional. If necessary, it's about moving board members on uh, who are not willing to do that, moving advisors and other people, uh, team members. If they're not willing to work in unity, then uh, that is a really good reason to move people on. Actually, Paul, in saying this, I'm reminded even of, like in Australia, we've got Qantas and Virgin and just some of the issues around um, what happened there, the fact that Virgin ended up going into liquidation was because someone was upset that they didn't get the CEO role of Qantas. So moved over to Virgin and said, right, I'm going to stick it to you. But he was in this so competition mode that it cost him, it, it cost him his job, but it cost them millions and millions and millions of dollars because they weren't they weren't working together they were working in opposition to each other which was to the detriment of both organizations now you see so you see that happening on i mean that's a very large scale thing and 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 if you i've had some conversations with some people on the inside of virgin and i say look this is my take on it i said exactly it actually caused the whole organization to collapse um and they've had to bringing outside people to fix that. But this happens internally within even smaller organizations. And um, which is actually very sad because when we have, <laughs> particularly from a Christian perspective, if you've got a, um, you're supposed to be moving forward and, and, and doing the call of God on our life and growing the kingdom, but we get so caught up in fighting each other and the infighting that takes place, which actually then causes you not to even to focus on uh, what the goals of the organization are. Yeah. Or in some cases, um, you know, there may be a piece of sort simply by avoiding each other, you know, and we sometimes find that, you know, different denominations, uh, they get on. Okay. uh, But that's because they're not really willing to um, do anything together. Uh, And that's, I think for me, you know, having um, lived in and worked in teams where sacrificial succession has been outworked, um, all of the negative things that we're talking about, what they do is they they all um, breed contempt ultimately for each other. Um, and, of course, there is no um, trust and you know, ultimately, what we find with sacrificial succession, without exception, is that unless there are close uh, 
emotional uh, bonds and relationships between, um, you know, the generations, it's not going to work. Uh, It's a little bit like, um, you know, Jesus, he modeled this perfectly by laying down his life for us. But it's very interesting what he said to his family where, you know, um, there were some people who said, hey, Jesus, your mothers and brothers have come. Uh, I suspect that what was sort of the subtext was they're trying to sort of move you on. It's like, come on, Jesus, you're spending too much time with these people. And then he goes on to say, you know, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Um, It's the ones who are, um, you know, doing uh, my. It's interesting if you look at, um, you know, even in practical terms, where is the greatest emotional closeness and willingness to sacrifice? It's not in families. Research has shown this time and time again. It's where people have a trust in each other where they're willing to essentially give up their lives. The armed forces and the emergency services are examples of that, where people are willing to um, sacrifice for each other, perhaps more than they would even for family members. And so, again, this is why it's so important when you come from different tribes, like we've talked about, the projects that we work in, without exception, it's different ethnic groups handing over often to the ethnic group that has been traditionally uh, and historically their enemy. How do you break that cycle? The only way you can break that cycle is when their emotional relationship is closer than that of a family and um you know that's just the reality of it and so where you know where you've mentioned a couple of times there was just recently there's infighting in an organization uh there's factions etc etc what person is going to have the level of trust or emotional closeness to actually hand over leadership why would you 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 don't have any care or love for the person that you're going to hand over to. So we've found that this emotional closeness, this brotherhood and sisterhood is absolutely uh, vital um, for the, the actual, um, you know, sacrifice in the succession. Because you, you won't sacrifice for people that you don't have a, a close emotional bond with. So Paul... I mean, I'm in such an organization. I have trust issues with others. And it may be because of stuff that, you know, has happened to me historically, or I've seen stuff like this happen before. What would you say to that person to say, hey, you, you need to change <laughs> in this? Because, um, like, one of the organizations I'm thinking about, there's been a hit, like, the guys needed to transition for a long time. He, he's he's I think he's onto his third round of potential successes, and that's all fallen apart. So there, there's got to be a change of heart in that person. But I'm thinking about what about me? What's my change of heart in this? Because uh, and it's going to take a lot of people actually to change their hearts to bring about the succession. In this case, to bring about trust. yeah, I, I think the I think the first thing is. Um, in practical terms, is to ask 
yourself and you know my and ask for me to ask myself the question how many people am i actually investing in yeah i don't mean i'm a consultant for or you know <laughs> that's paying me for life coaching skills or something like that i mean how many people uh, are you personally investing in how many people am i personally investing in because when I invest in someone else uh, sacrificially, then I'm, I'm actually starting the process before I think about a successor. Um, yeah. I'm starting that process of relationship. I mean, we have it with our children to some yeah. <laughs> excuse me, extent, but the reality is um, in most cases, they're not going to take over our organisation. Yes, in some cases, dynasties work. Um, you know, perhaps you know a farm might be an example where it st- <coughs> stays in the family. But the reality is, I need to be investing in people so that I am starting to establish that relationship that then allows me to be able to observe the people that I'm investing in intentionally to see if they have the qualities and characteristics that we've talked about so much in these podcasts that actually qualifies them as being sacrificial so that, you know, we can consider them as that next generation. Paul, one of the things that I just want to throw this in here, as I've been considering this is, is how much the, um, the enemy is actually stopping things and and comes in like like we talk about that he he uh, he, roar, he he wanders around like seeking whom he may devour and and also that he's a father of lies so he's very good at putting little untruths in here or this and then then it's easy for those lies to become for people to take them and believe in them and so it's key that we recognise that the part the enemy actually would play in some of this as well. Um, absolutely yeah and and like you said whenever you get into situations where you know there's whispers here and whispers there and you know jesus dealt with this so well when uh in in his um transition and succession uh they were aware or he told them uh that and so they started to think you know who's the greatest here the sons of Zebedee tried to sort of get an inside lane by getting mum to have a chat to Jesus. She may have been a relative. We don't know, but it's perfect, you know, perfect Eastern way of doing things. And Jesus just, you know, he knocked it all on the head by bringing them together and talking openly. And, you know, that's the key. We must talk openly about things um, without accusing he didn't accuse anybody it's interesting they were enraged with the sons of zebedee they knew who had tried to do that jesus didn't point it out he didn't say yep everybody um come here i know what the uh, the sons of zebedee have said no what he did was he dealt with the issue he didn't bring he didn't name names he dealt with the issue and talked it through and we've found time and time again when you've got these extreme dif- differences between people, ethnic and professional and whatever, it's just sitting down and saying, look, we're aware 
there are differences. As Delhi said, you know, someone sat across the table, the dinner table, literally, and wagged his finger, calling someone else a heretic. Um, It's sitting down and just recognizing, yes, there's differences, but this is what we have to be working towards. And if that is not on your agenda, then you can't be part of the team. It's so good. It's um, we do need to become more and more like Christ in this, isn't it? Because he 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 sacrificed himself literally for others. Uh, you know, we may not be suffering to the point of death as Jesus did, but there is this um, laying down of our own agenda, our own way of doing things, and putting putting it into others. But we find, but as we do that, though, what we have multiplies and we see it released. And, and Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, if you don't do that, you know, like if I'm the predecessor to the next generation and, you know, you can tell by my grey hairs, I've got no other choice. Yes. And I suspect you're, you're heading in the yeah, same yeah, yeah. direction. They're coming in, they're coming there. in. <laughs> um, is that if if we don't make the effort to model this, we can't expect the next generation to be able to model it. Yeah. Either yeah. because we're we're the model, we're the example, and that's why Jesus was such a perfect example. Not only in a sense spiritually, but practically, because he was willing to lay down his life for others. <laughs> and he's so um, good. He was willing to lay down his agenda. He yeah. was willing to lay down, yeah. And then so doing, and his disciples and their disciples right down to us. And so if we break that connection, then there's only one person who can reestablish that connection. That's me. That's you, Wes. Um, We are the ones that can reestablish that connection of serving without expectation, of sacrificing, you know, laying down our lives um, figuratively in most cases for that next generation because we don't want to be dead if we can help it. Why? Because we want to help sustain them. We don't want to just be gone. The other thing, though, Paul, it, it multiplies your own efforts. Like there's there's something that I'm working on at the moment, and just in my time with God before I went to a meeting about last week, he just showed me something very different. He said to me, Wes, you are holding on to this so tightly that that I can't actually multiply it. But if you actually let go and give it to others, uh, it will multiply even further than what you can can think about. And so just over the last week, I've said, okay, who who can I help empower? And I, I think I've had eight other people have come forward and said, I want to do this. You know, and I'm thinking that's that's gonna have a huge impact, but it had to be a change in me, a change in my attitude. Um, and sometimes it takes, I mean. I don't know whether it's just because I listened to God, you know, I was open to him saying that, but sometimes it takes someone else to come alongside you and say, Hey, pull up here. Do you realize that you're holding on to this too tightly? 
And if you actually brought people together and released it to others, what you have will multiply in all sorts of incredible ways. Yeah, absolutely. It's doing it, isn't it? Uh, And it's interesting. Jesus, you know, he told a parable of the two brothers. One brother said, yes, yes, for sure, I'll do that. You know, he paid lip service to whatever the task was. The other one who had, uh, you know, hesitated and was quite honest about it was the one that actually went ahead and did it. Yes. You know, so hesitating is no, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, in my case, I hesitated because I felt that maybe it wasn't for everyone. Maybe this was just for us and for our team. But people encouraged me and said, no way, you've got to get this out there. You've got to share it. And so, you know, for me, it was saying, okay, um, if that's the case, I'm going to do my best to share sacrificial succession with everyone who's willing to listen. Yeah. Um, because it's not ultimately my job to try and convince people uh, whether it's right or wrong or otherwise, it's my job to share what uh, has been revealed to me. And that's all, uh, you know, that's really all we're asked to do um, is to, to, as we've freely received something is to freely give it and um, entrust that to others. And yeah, if it's clear enough, they should run with it or some should. Yes, that's right. And which, to wrap this up today, Paul, um, there's a key thing with Joshua. He, they did go in and they did take the promised land. I mean, he didn't fulfill everything, but boy, they got the tribes together and they went battle after battle after battle because they were working together uh, to do that. And and look at the result. Well, he's still thousands of years down the track. Well, look at the result perhaps of because of not finishing the job. Yes, exactly. I know. You know, um, so yes, uh, it just shows that, he, you know, after all, Joshua's human. Um, perhaps, you know, one thing he did um, that was um, not as um, proactive as Moses was that it appears like he prepared no successor, yes. whereas Moses prepared Joshua and Caleb. And of course, we have the resulting judges, um, which was. Boy, that was a chaotic time. Yes. You know, it actually says everyone did what they felt was right for them. Uh, Sounds like uh, our society today, doesn't it? Which comes back to the whole message of this is if we get it right, really what we're talking about here is getting back onto God's agenda Um, uh, and and seeing that. that And it's not just about you. And I think... um, Perhaps that's one of the issues that we're facing in the world today is because we're so individualistic that we're looking at fighting our own battles rather than joining together uh, from across the different tribes. And and Jesus is is a, he's about teams. He's not about individuals, which is a huge mindset yes, change. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known, not through individual denominations and not through individual people. And boy, could we spend a lot of time on that. But we need to bring the podcast to a close. So the key thing, and I I like your ending thing you've got here, is Lord, help me to remember that you are about teams, not just individuals. And so that's our thought to leave you with today. How can you shift from your individual thinking to a team thinking? Um, 
and or or a family thinking as well is one of the yeah. other things in that as well. Well, start by investing in others. Yeah, and and and, and it may not be investing. It's investing time. It's talking about um, who you are. Um, I'll just I'll just finish with this side note. We um, I was asked to reach out to a young guy who uh, who's actually very good about developing things in business, but is stuck in his bedroom at home doing all this stuff. And I was amazed as we met with him and pulled him out. Um, he shared some great things with us, but we were able. I actually said to him, "Mate, you're missing some points here, and if you actually did." A couple of these things, it will multiply what you're doing, and I, I've been thinking about that because it's been about a week since I met with him. That um, the input that comes when you gather together and share your ideas and work together as a team, you can accomplish a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, bless you, Paul, and we look forward to you next week. Thanks, Wes. <laughs>